Welcome back. We are done riding the wave of the Brandon Coleman interview, and we are back with some live-ish stuff for Wood, Air, and Metal. It is March 31st. The ground is defrosting for the most part. At least tomorrow it's going to get cold again, because is going on in Ohio. So, hmm. Uh, that's where we're, that's where I, we're at. I think, is it supposed to snow tomorrow? I think it's supposed to snow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm not actually not kidding. Yeah, man, I know. <laughs> I, I look at this thing on my phone, I'm like, gonna be kidding. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw... And it was pretty much true so far, so I haven't looked, but it was like I think it was like Monday or, Tuesday, or Sunday. I was like, oh, it's gonna be 70 on Tuesday. Yep. And then I was like, oh, it's gonna be 30 and snowing on Thursday. <laughs> I saw a thing and my friend Perfect. I'm totally prepared for this week. I got my flip flop, my toe shoes, down jacket, my swim. You know, it's like it, it's all over the place, but whatever. It's Ohio. That's the way that it goes. And the same thing with New York when I was in Buffalo. It was always that way. It's like you yeah, don't trust yeah. it until August, and then it's just uh, then it's time for fall. So, uh, you get like one good month. Yeah, pretty much. My, my dad, when we moved to Erie when I was younger. He was like, you know, it was like it's like two months out of the year. It's like the weather's perfect. And that's mm-hmm. what you're that's what you're going for. I'm like, yeah, but like ten months out of the year, it's really not. It's like the opposite of perfect. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh man. <sighs> so what's new before we get into topics? Anything we're working on? I mean, nothing really. But I've been like totally hooked on listening to Lucas lately. To who? Uh, Lapras. Oh, the band, the Lapras band. Yep. Yeah. They're just fantastic. That guy's voice is phenomenal. It, like, is there a new record? Uh, or is that the Pitfall one or whatever from a year or so ago? Uh, I'm looking it up now. I've, been, I've listened to Cole a lot because I started out with Pitfall. Yeah, the latest one, Pitfall. I started out with that. And the sky is red. Which I think you sent me that video of the drum breakdown. Oh yeah, that's cool. Like, and he oh breaks like God. seven sticks when he's doing it, but it's <laughs> super awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't even miss this thing. He's like, oh, and another, and oh, yeah. another. And they did the live overdubbing in the, it was just like, holy cow. That, oh, that's right. They had the guy like on the other symbol or whatever. I mean, that was cool. Uh, or Tom, he like comes in and starts hitting it. Yeah, they're. Uh, I guess you'd call them a prog metal band. But very cool. Very cool band. Yeah. Yep. Definitely not what I would expect from the name Leprous. Like, I would expect the... Yeah. You know, and a lot of driving and double kick and stuff like that. And it was, like, totally the complete opposite. Very melodic, airy, a lot of space. Not so, not a huge amount of guitar solo work. The other player is phenomenal, though. Yeah, like, I, I think, too, like they tour with a cellist. Really? Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, that kind of stuff in there, too. It's, and yeah. it's real. Unfortunately, a lot of those bands, probably a cost issue, but there'll be string sounds and they're almost always um, keyboards. Yeah. And it's just, it's different. I, I love it. I, I, Not I the new it. Red Side Visible album, though. I played a lot yeah. of viola and violin on that one. did, and he did the singing, and he did the guitar work, and the artwork, and the video. <laughs> Is there anything in there that you didn't do besides drums? You know... <laughs> I know this wasn't the topic, but it's like, man, the things you have to do these days to mm-hmm. to have a 
to put out music. It's like, God, you got to be good at everything. Yeah, no kidding. I'm like, it's- I would much, I was telling somebody the other day, because uh, I, I had got the Red Side Visible stuff mastered, and I or at least one song, and I really didn't like what happened with it. And then we went back and forth a few times, and I realized what was happening, which was fine in a way. He was kind of just doing like the industry standard metal mastering thing. And uh, it really wasn't what I think was appropriate for this particular project. So I was telling somebody about that, and, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to have to do it myself, which I've been much happier with, and I think I finally got there. No, um, I've been through the whole process, so. Yeah, I've, I've, made, I've made Adam suffer through the whole thing. I um, it, 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 I actually, I really do enjoy it, so it's cool to hear it's different takes. So. Yeah, it's interesting that, like, little things change everything, and then you, what happens is you, like, fix one thing, and you're like, oh, I'll just go fix this. And then you find something else, and then you find something else, and you find, you know, it's just, it's like you couldn't see it because there was stuff in the way. And then you, you get rid of something, and you're like, oh, wait, what's that over there? Oh, I should probably fix that, too. And then you fix that, and then something else gets cleared out of the way, and all of a sudden you're you're doing a lot of stuff. But, uh, like, yeah, I was kind of telling somebody, I was just like, oh, yeah, I had to do it myself. He's like, well, at least you know how to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, I wish I would. I was just like making music and practicing or whatever, and didn't have to yeah, learn how to do all this stuff. The thing that's slowing me down with getting my, my own album out is just like, I could be editing or I could be practicing, and that that's a hard trade-off. I mean, most yeah. of the time, especially since my, what's the way to put it? I can't. If my my students are varied this year, but you know, there's some pretty solid players. So I gotta stay on top of my game. I can't just kind of like wing it. Not that I ever really wing it anyways. And I hate losing chops. That's the other thing too. Like, you know, a couple of days off, it's like, poof, all that work tends to slide and it drives me nuts. Don't you, don't you think it comes back quick though? I used to it worry does. about it all the time. I'd be like, oh, my hands are they're getting behind. But I feel like now, like within a day or two, even if it was weeks since I worked on any technique, it comes back pretty fast. I found that I keep... Now I just keep a standard uh, set of exercises that I do every single time I sit down, every single day. Like, regardless if I'm going to have a long process session, it's, you know, 25 minutes. It's something where I can easily spare the time to get in yeah. there and just keep my hands loose. Like this past weekend when the tree fell down, it's like, well, I'm going to lose a whole weekend with a chainsaw in my hand. This is going to do wonders for my forearms, you know. It's going to tighten them up like crazy. So it, I woke up Saturday morning. Did my routine, did the chainsaw thing literally all day, went to bed, same thing Sunday. And it still kept my hands loose, even though I was doing the other activities. Yeah. So I think that's how, how do you do – so I, I used to do that, but I I find I, I do better now. And maybe it's just a difference in being an improviser is if I work on technique, it's because I learned something new. Like <laughs> it's some, I work on something new as opposed to being like, well, I'm going to use this shape again. You know that I already know. If I if I work keep working on that, that doesn't get me anywhere. Like I don't really get anything out of it. So it'll be like, oh, I I learned something now. You know, whatever some pattern or some shape or or something, then I work on that thing instead. It, because it's not like you know I'm still like that's a different pattern than the other one. But I'm still using. It's obviously got some chops in it. So I'm working on picking and working on the other stuff, but it's like a new shape, a new 
pattern or a new like memory thing that that way when I'm improvising I can pull on a bunch of different stuff. So I yeah. almost never work on something that I already can do, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and that's just something where it's like, I think the difference a little bit is in the classical world, you're always going to run into situations where you need a specific technique. Like you can't let your tremolo slide if you're going to play a tremolo piece. Yeah. You have to keep arpeggiations going. You have to keep your tone control the same. So there's a lot of that that you can do kind of within pieces, but I, I hate doing that. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then uh, the um, the underlying thing is like I like to keep my forearms loose, and for some reason they get really tight if I don't. And it's not a whole lot of you know, yeah. I mean, I'm just doing that. I noticed that that started to open up this section of my forearm. Like, yeah. did you ever did you ever do that Petrucci book? Do you remember that no, book? He had he had this exercise, um, and I used to do it all the time. Uh, maybe yeah. So you would put, and it wasn't fast. It was you put your hand in this position. I don't know if you could see. So it'd be like, um, yeah. like an um, tritone sort of thing. And then you flip the two middle ones, and then you flip the two metal ones. Then you flip the two outside ones, and then you flip the out the middle ones again. So it was an independence. Yeah. And then you would do it. I don't know if you can hear that. Yep. And then eventually you, you do it like... Front in between. Front in between. Whatever. I haven't done it in forever. And he yep. would do that like all up and down the fretboard, you know. But I, I don't know. It's kind of, I think you can do it for a little while and just get that independence going. Well, that's what... I mean, that's one of the things that I do every day. Except I do it uh, on the fifth string. And yeah. You put all fingers down. And then you keep two of them pinned and, and just kind of work on like one and two. Yeah. Four. Or, I'm sorry, uh, two and three. And then uh, three and four. Yep. Lost my pick. I just did the dishes so my calluses are very soft. And then, yeah, uh, one and three. And two and four. And then one and four. But when like, I'm actually doing it, I have a metronome going at about 100 beats a minute, and I switch them with that. And I do four sets each finger combinations. Yeah. Just keep my hand loose. And then I'll do the, like... Get the hammer-ons and trills going. Um, and then that little arpeggio study... Just we got to stop doing this late at night so I'm not exhausted. <laughs> Should be warmed up by now, Adam. I was one up, but this right here, I focused on particularly like not moving my wrist when I'm doing it and letting my fingers yeah. do it. And I noticed that it was like I kept stretching something in this part of my hand. And ever since I incorporated it, it's really made chordal stretches a lot easier. Because it, the general thing is like if you're compensating it with your hand, that works, but you're not using everything that's kind of angled here to its best advantage. You're kind of compensating by using this. And that'll happen at times, maybe even more so in improvised music than in classical. But the bottom line is, is you, I want to be as stable as possible at all times. You know, it's yeah. like that Giordino that... It's a huge independence workout. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, and then the chromatic, uh, was it? It's been a while since I did that. 
obviously. So <laughs> just right. that he, mean, he means like an hour ago. No, I'm just gonna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like two, three months. It's like I learned that whole that whole study and had it going. It's great, but I was then I was like, I was never really compromised a thing. Like I couldn't. See. That's just a blatant like show off thing of whatever. And that's fine. You know, if somebody wants to play it, I'm not knocking it, but I just, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to really use this in the concert. More right. of, I just use the studies as something to get inside of their head. They're like, why are they doing this? What's the point? What are the executional things? And yeah. the people, you know, are so absolute, every single one of them is insane. Like the guy must, like, he's a phenomenal guitarist, but he must hate guitarists. <laughs> like, it's like, why would you do that? This, like, there's one where it's like, ah, uh, uh, I got it. you do it there and then you move up to the ninth of this and it's all barred and it's, it goes through each finger set nice. keeping it so it's like you're holding a bar the entire time it's eight minutes long or whatever is it is and by the time you're done you either are going to dip your hand into an ice bucket or you're going to go out and quit you know it's uh <laughs> it's but it's maybe you had really low action yeah on a classical i doubt it but uh well, maybe, you know for recording maybe it doesn't matter I think it see on an interesting thing. I think that totally makes a difference. Classical recording, like you lose the dynamic range. The lower it goes, I mean. Well, I guess though, does, does the recording of that have good dynamic range? Um, yes and no. Like one guy who did all of them, all the sixty of them, like five hours worth of music. It's unreal. Yeah. The jobs on this dude are insane. Um, and they're just uh, you know, it's they're called the transcendental etude. And uh, yeah, I think sixty is the right thing. It was four CDs, um, and it's just crazy the the playing on each of them. And not only that, they're obnoxiously difficult, but the player it was just like selling them absolutely fantastic. Like huh. it wasn't like I just made these notes, yay! It was like wow, yeah, right. That's, that's humbling. So it's uh, all those things. So I, there, I like it kind of reminds me. Uh, there was a time, like twenty years ago. Or literally, where um, I wrote down every like four finger combination, you know, so like one, three, two, four, and then I, I had times next to all of them, you know, you know whatever whatever end up, you know whatever combination you could think, yeah, maybe like three, four, two, one, and I would do it up and down the neck. I don't know that it was very useful, actually, in the grand scheme of things. But I, I guess it, there's some, like, independence gain from it. Maybe it's something yeah. you would do for, like, a week, not for, like, a year. But, uh... And that's the point. I mean, it's independence of the, the fretting hand and coordination with the plucking hand. You know, being able yeah. to instantly be like, okay, I'm gonna... It, it, there shouldn't be, like, oh, this pattern is easier for me. It should be all of them to be easy to access, you know, ideally. Uh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't want... You shouldn't make decisions based on what your hands can do, sort of, right? You should yes. do what you hear and play it. Yeah, and and well, I mean, and again, coming from the classical world, it's like you don't get that choice. Yeah, <laughs> if your hand, yeah. your hands have to be able to do what's on the page, regardless. That's it, and that was uh, that's a brutal thing to learn. Sure, uh, but it's great. It's, it's hugely advantageous. It's like okay, that that's just this chord or this particular layout here, and that's the way that this guy particularly plays them. Um, Looking at you, Rigandi. So yeah. <laughs> he's a monster. I'm glad he quit, but at the same time, and not really. His writing was unbelievable. Um, 
Anyways, so how do we even get on this topic? I said what what's going down. Oh yeah, that's right. We and we went with the leprous thing. Uh, so it's mainly a whole lot of leprous and Hiromi. Like it just I stumbled upon her CD again in my catalog, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's just a freak. <laughs> like absolutely. Just, yeah, she's awesome. That opening track on her latest one, Kaleidoscope, is just like who thinks like that consistently. <laughs> So if you don't know, Hiromi is a pianist. Yeah, jazz pianist. And just, yeah, incredible. It's mind-boggling. But it's, like, it's almost like prog metal jazz something. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the thing, too, is she's got such a good sense of groove. Like, yeah. it's not technically, you know, here's my seven against five passage. Haha, look at me. It's like, no, it's got a swing and a groove to it. It's like... Oh, yeah. And her band's killing. It's like... Oh, God, yeah. Um, what is it? Simon Phillips and... Uh, why am I blanking on the bass player's name? He's awesome. Anyway, yeah. It is... He plays lefty. Upside uh, down. Anthony Jackson. Anthony Jackson. Yep. Anthony Jackson and Simon Phillips are her usual band. It's up the yeah. latest album. It's just, just like power. a killing rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Oh, she needs it. Like, let me, not that she needs it to help her, but... In order to for her to get everything, players that are absolutely top tier. Oh yeah, they go oh, halfway with this. Yeah, um, I feel like that's like the best thing Simon Phillips has ever done too. He's done cool stuff, but the Hiromi stuff is like perfect to exploit what he's good at. Oh yeah, yep, no doubt. It's she's oh. every time I listen to that piece, I get like oh yeah, I didn't catch that the last time. I didn't catch that the last. Oh time. sure. It's just crazy. Yeah, I kind of is. I don't know if it's fair or whatever, but and maybe it's just because they're both younger. I put her in like Tigran. Yeah. In the same sort of world, they're also they're not afraid of playing like low notes and like making it sound like metal, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And they kind of they exploit that and they use the cool rhythms and different polyrhythms and stuff. So. But it serves the music so well. It's oh not yeah. Just- the rhythms for the sake of the rhythms. Well, they both groove hard, too. Yeah, like you were saying. Yep. And that's... Uh, I love Tigran stuff as well. Didn't he just release something new? I think so, yeah. It's good to do. Yeah. I think I had that, but I haven't, like, listened and listened. I gotta just sit down and listen. So that's the kind of the latest and greatest. Otherwise, I just started doing more transcriptions because... Why finish one when you can have 70 million going at the same time? So <laughs> Maybe when you're in transcription mode, you just go do it. Yeah. It's like a, the Philip Glass is almost done. Like, honestly, that's coming so much easier than I thought it would be. Like, I was expecting it. When I did his etudes, or I tried to do his etudes on guitar, it would, it would be like, oh, this works great. And then you just hit something where it's like, yeah, that, nope, that's not going to happen. And it would be such a downgrade from what he was doing. It's like, I'm not going to just try and do that. That's stupid. You know, yeah. Losing a voice in a Bach chorale. It's like, no, you can't do that. You, you got to keep everything going to give it the respect that it, and attention that it needs. So that was the thing with glasses stuff. Though I love being able to do some of it, that uh, loss of certain things in the etudes was just like, forget it. I'm not going to try to. Um, and I mean, I tried every solution that I could possibly think of, altered tunings, you know, and some things would help, but then it would make something, another section totally ridiculous. I think, at least what I've heard, You've been mostly sticking close to the original arrangement in terms of um, 
company patterns and whatever else. Have you done anything where you've done your own, like, just, let's just pull it apart a little bit and see what we can do that, that might be guitaristic or like apply, like turn one of those glass pieces into a fugue or something like that. I haven't explored that directly. That has the thoughts occurred to me. Like, and I know it's a lot of work. So I I mean, and not that I'm scared of the work. I just haven't, Yeah. I don't start working on something until I can hear it. Yeah, like sure. My, if I can hear it, then it's like, all right, let's do it. And like with this other project that I'm not going to completely reveal yet because I'm hoping that I can fill a niche. <laughs> till it, you know, hopefully, you know, whenever it actually gets done. But as soon as I get the first movement done, I'll be... Uh, right. Power mediocrity is going to start. Yep. As soon as that's done, it'll be recorded right away and out there. But the... Um, and that's just about there. And I, ha- I think I was going to do two different things. One of them exactly as the instrumentation was, like totally 100% following the notes on the page. The other one flushing it out into something that's going to be guitar. Right. Uh, you know, it. Uh, I'm taking the Stanley Yates take on it, who's a classic guitarist and arranger who did the Bach cello suites and other stuff, a lot of other stuff. But he did the, like the book for the Bach cello suites is the Stanley Yates book. He did all six of them. And one of his things that he puts in the beginning is like. You know, these were written for cello, but I wanted to add voice lines to it to make it more of a guitar thing, very guitaristic in its writing. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that uh, that are honoring of the Bach material, but at the same time turning it into like adding contrapuntal lines that Bach implies in his music, which is completely fine because he actually that's legit what he did. Um, we have enough of like the Beto V995 is a cello piece, also a lute piece, also a piano thing where it's. You can hear how he flushes it out when he gets more available notes. So you kind of get into his methodology, and you can take that and go back to the other things and kind of imply the rest of the the harmonies there or whichever uh, moving accompanying line. It's interesting. This I, Helen Grimaud, if I'm pronouncing her name right, is a classical pianist that did that with the lute suites on the piano and hmm. added little things with it. Sometimes it was really cool, like the 1006 uh, boom da da wickedly cool on the piano and she did some really cool additional lines on it because there's parts yeah. where it's just like you know just a, a, a droning e and then with a single line above it which is fine a, a guitar and a violin but when you have a piano and 88 keys and all this range like you, you can she turned it into a piano-esque piece sure. and it's really neat to see the way that she kind of added the voices to it other stuff i didn't like the additions but whatever we're all gonna have an opinion on it the bottom line is, is she did it and we didn't <laughs> that's kind of my I, know, I know well there's a lot of that stuff too like i know uh, there was some hillary hahn thing i saw where she played the paganini caprices but then after she did i don't know how many she did she went into i can't remember what they were called now but basically they were the caprices somebody rearranged them they made them harder um <laughs> Yeah, it's like this. It's really cool, but it's it's Paganini sort of, you know, but yeah. mo- modernized a little bit and just exploited a bit more. I'll have to send you the video. It's awesome, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for that, right? That's like almost like a just what happens to a lot of a lot of the music from then is let's maybe you do the first part of it, you know, as as it's sort of arranged, and then you sort of do the guitar version of it after or whatever. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing to try yeah yep and just uh, like 
in my head, I'm like, all right, I, t I know what I'm doing. And there's extended techniques with it and everything else that it's going to be more of my label on it you know, versus your my note for note transcription. This is only what Philip Glass does. And so then I'll be like, okay, just kind of take it to whatever and yeah. see what. Many, many projects in no time. So, the way that it goes. I mean, I guess the nice thing with a minimalist composer is you don't have to do a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, yes. There's no doubt that, that that's, that's totally true. Some stuff and other stuff. Like, uh, yeah. Not Terry Riley's in C, but it's definitely a little. He flushes out some interesting plays. So. I've always I've had a soft spot for the list. I've always thought about doing some pieces of his, which you really don't hear much on the guitar, and not like the shred version, you know, or whatever, but like try to do something nice with it. I've seen La Campanella from the Transcendental Etude on the guitar, and I saw one of them that the transcription was just wickedly virtuosic. Like, holy smokes, that would yeah. be cool. To learn. But I don't have that much time to edit. <laughs> and no one can actually play it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, it, it's like, that's like, whew. It's like your pictures at an ex exhibition by uh, Kazu, Kazu, you know, God, Yamashita. I, I'm going to butcher the first name. So he did that transcription of it for guitar that is just like unbelievable. But pretty much he's the only guy that can play it. <laughs> like there's stuff that he does. He does tremolo with just his pinky. So right. it's yeah, not too many humans on the planet Earth can pull that off. So, and it's all there. You know, you can grab, grab the score and, and learn it, but it's unbelievably difficult at times. Like, someone's yeah. like, oh, this works. And the other stuff is like, holy crap, like, who does that? You know, but the guy's wired like that. He's very out there and he does absolutely brilliant work with some stuff and other stuff I just can't listen to. And mainly, like, his Bach cello suite's amazing. Pictures at an exhibition, amazing. Is uh, the the Firebird Suite by Stravinsky? It's like what? <laughs> do you, do, do you, you have to that? send me some of these because I've I haven't heard these. I don't like. Oh, they're they're wickedly good, man, and totally all over the place. And then you know his Bach lute suites are just I can't turn them on. It's like within the first ten notes, I'm like, no, no, I can't listen to this guy play these. I don't know what happened because especially since the cello suites, I thought his interpretations were absolutely fantastic so there's like this jump between the two maybe it's the, the the more contrapuntal things that are going on in the loose suites that i just can't listen to him play them but whatever that's my personal opinion he clearly sounds yeah like sure podcast like well screw that guy <laughs> i'll prove him wrong you know <laughs> whatever um but that uh, like his stuff is all over the map like that and i can't half of me is just stunned that somebody would be like yeah, let's totally put the Mirzagorsky on the guitar. Let's just do it. <laughs> sure. What? Wild. Wild. I'm glad that he did, because it, uh, it's very, very, very cool. But at the same time, it's like, I'd love to learn it, but... Whew, yeah. <laughs> what are you willing to invest? Yeah, exactly. Do you have How many your... children do you have to donate? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, for a half hour of music, it would probably be like a year investment, is my guess, in order to keep it completely playable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. That's just like, whew, wow. Very, very cool, though. Very tasty. So you got the red side visible thing. That's Now, with this mastering, I'm going to ask the deadly question here. With this mastering, once you are done with that particular track, can we name that track, or are you keeping it under wraps? Yeah, we can name it. It's called Snap, Crackle, Pop. Snap, Crackle, Pop. You know, once you're done mastering that particular one, are you going to take that mastering setup and just 
blanket it across the rest of the tracks, or are you going to do each one individually? Yeah, well, they sound similar, basically. Yeah, that's the that's the plan. Does okay. it, is it blanketed? Maybe not. Depends on what's going on. If there's anything weird, but okay. In, in, and then uh, I, I'm not above. Like sometimes, what happens when you're doing mastering is depending on the song certain frequencies like if you clean them up a little bit can like really open up the mix and it's all of a sudden it's it's like you take a veil off the mix in a way um at least that's been my experience and since every song there's a similarity between them right but there's quite the variety in the songs that are coming out so I, I wouldn't be opposed to like tweaking a little bit here and there to bring if if something brought something out or if there was a weird frequency or something. So is it going to be like one of those blanket at all, then listening to it and go and cut back and spots that need to be cut back type of thing? Yeah, I think kinda, yeah. Yeah, I'll listen to it if it sounds all right. Yeah. And we're then it and it's they're about the right volume and everything's matching that way. And we should be good. Yeah, I find that interesting. So they have these meters. They tell you like what you, what your dynamic range is. They tell you what your loudness is. But they're pretty good. But I feel like they don't pass the ear test all the time. I'm not sure how they average it. So I, and they don't, they don't always match too. Like one brand might be slightly different than another brand. Or at least I've kind of seen that. So I don't I don't rely as much on that. Like I know all oh, that it's within it's ten or something. Okay, so there should be around ten. Um also I noticed a lot of met most rotor recordings, the dynamic range is more like six is what they as the kind of the numbers are, six or seven. Um and the loudness is like ten or whatever. But then more like proggy stuff the dynamics more like 10 or 11 uh, which just means it has more dynamic range and then the volume's not as loud like the loudness okay so i'm happier to be in that range just because it kind of bounces around a lot where there's strings sometimes and there's almost yeah. like choir parts or whatever then sometimes there's whatever so it kind of kind of goes all around i i'd rather it be a little quiet i feel like people can turn up if they want to and just not smash the crap out of it Cool. All right, and that's the breakdown of the latest and greatest. That's right. <laughs> on to your next session or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, on to the next segment, segment, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the the. Uh, let's go with the starting with good instruments versus. Oh yeah. Let's, let's dive into that. That little little side topic. Pulling off of my notepad of. <laughs> They'll tend to shut up about when we're texting so we can get this all out. Right. <laughs> Over the, we never do shut up about it, really. We just now we're talking rather than texting. So yeah. It's uh, starting with good instruments. So we started this discussion talking about pianos and the advantage of having a great action on a piano and how do you get that and how having a great piano could be motivating to just continually play it as you were first starting. And, and more important, maybe is it actually lets you play real pieces. <laughs> mm -hmm. So like uh, the piano that I grew up with, well, there's two, but 
the action was slow. Like you pressed it, it's like, then the key comes back. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there, the action's really slow. Like you, you couldn't, it, it just didn't respond very quick. So how in the world would you ever play like List or something? You know, like you just can't. Like the the, the keys don't come back quick enough. And that's ignoring all the other problems, you know, mm-hmm. the the tonal things that happen and like the pedals aren't as good or you know, you know, all, all these things that you kind of deal with. And then we were we were kind of speculating, you know, of the great pianists out there. Did any of them start on the piano like that, you know, or did they have better pianos to start with? And, and then I found this interesting quote from Keith Jarrett who's arguably the greatest jazz pianist ever and classical, one of the greatest classical pianists ever. Um, he's like, I've always played Steinway. You know, I wouldn't know what else to play. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, uh, or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm, it's changing the words a little bit, but it's kind of like, so he grew up with Steinways when he was a kid. Um, I've played some Steinways in college and stuff, but, uh, certainly didn't grow up with them. <laughs> And even the even the Steinways like at schools usually don't get like free access to them like they're they're kind of like locked up at night and maybe they're out on the you know you know if no one's in there you can kind of sneak in and play for a little bit and somebody might yell at you or you write something like I had when I my first year of music school I wrote a composition recital and there was a Steinway and we we used that so you're allowed to use it but uh. Yeah, typically don't even get to use it. So it's like you don't even know what you're missing in a way. Um, and it's not a, not a very good excuse, maybe, but um, it sort of got us to this idea that was like, if you start with good instruments, are you more likely to... Is, is the advantage going to compile over time that it gets really hard to catch up to somebody like that, in a sense? And then we were even talking about, like, with music school, I had, like, a $200 Yamaha classical guitar, you know, used, or maybe it was, not even, no, not even used, brand new, like, $200 classical guitar. And this was when they weren't as nice as they are today, too, and it's not a knock on Yamaha, but um, it's like you spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to go to the school, but then you use a $200 guitar. Um how good can you possibly get on that thing? Uh, uh, so that's a perfect question. Was that you know it does yeah. have a it, you run into the limit extraordinarily quick. Right, did not take long. No, not at all. Um, but that's also that I would say that skips over one particular question of if you're in middle, music school, if you're going to school for music, you've already put your serious face on. Yeah, sure. Good point. But, if you're paying fifteen to twenty thousand a year, let's say, or whatever, um, then it makes complete sense. If it's eighty thousand dollars at the end, you know, minus whatever scholarships and whatever junk, then a five thousand dollar investment in your instrument through that is really yeah. Important. Especially if you want that to be your like yeah life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly what I thought of when I, I bought this guy. You know, it was just like this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. So I need to have the tools to do it. And yeah, I think at the time I was going, I mean, I. I just didn't have the money. The yeah. the thought of like spending even a thousand dollars was too much. You know, like I just didn't have the cash. 
in in hindsight, I think, well, that's kind of silly. You should have just figured out how to get it somehow. I don't know how. But I was just trying to eat. So it's like, probably shouldn't have been in school for music. You know what I mean? Like, in a way, like, it was... It's an odd trade-off, you know? Plus, you're so young, you know, in one regard. You're not thinking that much more... Like, you're thinking of the future, but you're not getting a grip on what's going to take you to that next level musically. You know, you really don't... You know that the other guitars are good, but you yeah. don't get... And I think the other thing, too, just especially in our case, we were both lefty. So we couldn't... Oh, sure. Somebody else's, you know, uh, you know, high-end guitar, and be like, "Holy cow, that's what I'm missing." Yeah, that right. Motivation to it. That's actually that's a really good point too. Like just being left-handed, it's not like I didn't even know what jumbo frets were until like 15 years after starting playing. Like I didn't even know they existed. It didn't even right. dawn on me. I mean, I might have read read about it, but I I didn't get to try them ever. You know. I played on like vintage size frets, and then when I finally did see jumbo frets, I'm like, really? I've been working seriously. Like I've been fighting this this whole time, and I actually, most of my guitars don't have jumbo frets, but it was more like it. It's easier. It definitely yeah. is easier, and well, for so many reasons, I don't know. It was just kind of funny. Well, I had a similar thing with like with this guy, a, a classmate of mine and I. Like, there was one, two, three, three of us that ordered guitars at the same time from the same guy. We all got them at roughly like within like a week of each other. And when he was order, one of my friends was ordering one. He had bigger hands than mine, you know. And I, I was, I was ordering a six fifty millimeter scale, and he was ordering a six forty. I'm like, why the hell are you ordering six forty? He's like, your hands are huge. He's like, why make it harder? And I'm like, that's a good point. So I call him. Yeah, right. Maybe it's a six forty. Am I insane? In retrospect, I probably should have done like six thirty five or six thirty. You know, it's like, um, we always talk about the the Damon killer, and our and Damon being a classical guitar luthier that like builds a top tier instruments forty. Okay type of thing. Absolutely. I don't even know that name. Okay. There you go. He's a, David Russell plays him. Uh, I think Barwaco plays him. Uh, just really like super high-end classical instruments. Double top. Crazy. Ten-year wait list. Type of thing. <laughs> well, Absolutely. then you can afford it. Yeah, exactly. Over ten years. Um, if he's still alive by the time he's, he gets Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the uh, like this one of the my colleagues, Cheryl was her first name. I can't remember her last name. But she had the same guy that built mine, a, a Thames, uh, and she had hers built to a 630. You know, so it was super small in comparison to, to everybody else. But the thing was a stinking cannon. Like, dynamic range was gigantic. It was super easy to play, at least from what everybody told me, because I couldn't really do anything on yeah, it. Right. But, you know, but I would hear it. Like, and Nick, um, Nick Lucis came into the master class. This is 15 years ago. And he had a Damon, and she blew his out of the water just like poof not even nice wow that's pretty stinking cool and you know that started a conversation of like what goes into the guitar that's going to make a difference with it It maybe the shorter scale has more tension on the strings so it's going to project more type of thing regardless um going down that bunny trail but it was really like one of it just it ties in with the having a good instrument and it's like yeah she she spent the money and got that one built specifically for her and she was a fantastic player too like it was yeah. really remarkable because you know you could tell she was an older student uh and that's saying a lot considering i was somewhat of an older student but she was like 
definitely an older student. And she would get horrendous stage fright, like whenever she would perform. And I went to her final recital, like as her biggest fan, like, come on, let's do this, you know. Yeah. It would, obviously, we're supportive of each other. And she's thinking tore it up in the final. Oh, good. Recital. It was nothing. It was like, all right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's cool. Play, but like, it, it was always the nerves that got in the way. And once she ditched that, man, boom, it was fantastic. So, um, having that good of an instrument, and she had that the entire time clearly translated into playing better because she, she had this dynamic range that nobody else literally in the class had um, yeah i think that, that that brings up an interesting point too is I, I imagine some people might listen and say come on like i can play a 20 dollar whatever guitar and i sound fine <laughs> you know and there's some truth to that right like plenty of people play cheap guitars and they sound good um but that or and even guitar is a little weird because you can set up a really cheap guitar and it can play it can play really nice like the action on it can be easy um to play so that doesn't even take that much skill to do especially now like most any guitar you buy can be set up and play nearly flawlessly um so the the action kind of thing is not that hard to get to um but there's a difference between playing the notes right, or playing, you know, playing the right notes, and then playing the notes right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, exactly. And you, when you have the the instruments that really aren't up to snuff, they don't, they don't even give you the option of playing the notes right in a way. Um, you might play the right note, <laughs> and if you have a if you have a sound that's that's not very dynamic. Or not very uh, like the timbre doesn't change that much, but maybe it doesn't matter that much. But if you're trying to be dynamic, you're trying to be colorful, you're trying to project. Um, it makes it like an enormous difference. You, no matter who, how good you are, you cannot take that two hundred dollar guitar I had and win like GFA with it. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they won't even be able to hear. It. I mean, they probably won't even be able to hear it. And if they can, it's just gonna sound like clink, 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 clink. Um, it just didn't have the qualities of a nice instrument. So, and you you couldn't ever learn how to play a nice instrument by doing it. So it's not like if you spent all that time on that instrument and somebody finally gave you the whatever you called it, like what was that? Damon. The damon. Somebody finally gives you a damon. It's perfectly set up. You probably sound better on it. But you have no idea how to play that guitar. Yeah, and so like, you don't know what the top end is in terms of the dynamic range. You don't know yeah. what it is. You You're not going to know how to control all those little nuances and stuff. You're going to have to spend some time with that instrument. Ye- years, not days, you know. Um, That's what I like about this guy. I mean, I've had this guitar for 2007, so... Right. What, yeah, and it's been your primary instrument for like 13, 14 years. Now. Yeah with it and, and, and where to play it to get the results and that was the other thing that I found to talk about the color thing I never thought that would be a big deal in terms of the instrument because I, I did the same thing I started out in Alaha in fact I think I have yours here in the corner <laughs> <laughs> keep it <laughs> so the um, so anyway so it's like I started on that and then you know uh, when I got the Thames one of, somebody else was trying it and they like did that whole like color movement Right. And I was like, oh, 
you don't have to move that much to get a totally different color. Like on the Yamaha, it was like to get anything different, I'd have to move a full six inches. Right. So, to get so and many. it was only two colors, yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. It was going to be, you know, like it, it, Dolce and Prontocello. That's all you get, you know. So it um, it was really remarkable to see the sensitivity of that. And that's the, the other thing. It's like, so it kind of drives... There's clearly an advantage to starting on an, a, a good instrument. Like, all those hurdles are kind of out of your way. Um, right. But, you know, I would always be like, yeah, but, you know, you don't want to throw, like, a five-year-old kid in playing a $5,000 instrument, you know, uh, that's kind of like the $5,000 investment. If $5,000 is nothing to you, then it really doesn't matter. But if it's like, yeah. you know, it's maybe a little different with a guitar, but let's say you had a Steinway piano, yeah. right? And you have three kids or something and you're a musician or whatever, I don't know, or musically inclined. If one of those kids takes up piano like and gets really into it, I mean, gosh, the world's their oyster, sort of, or whatever. Exactly. And maybe that's exactly what happened to Keith Jarrett. You know, it's like he was just—it's set up and it all worked out. Yeah. And I don't like—I don't begrudge anybody that type of thing. It's like those are the dreams that we all wish that we had. Oh yeah, certainly. Like, great man. He turned out to be Keith Jarrett. Everybody's loving his music. Super. So, um. And there's clearly big advantages, but it's always a matter of trade-off with, like, the, a, a sine way a kid can play on, and you're not going to worry about them breaking the thing. <laughs> you know, but my Thames would be like, yeah, no. You know, I remember sure. when I would have people, like, come into lessons or do a trial lesson, and they'd want to size it up, and I'd be, like, holding the Thames above them, you know, not letting it touch it, because... <laughs> They're kids, and they can. An accident is not something that I can easily recoup from <laughs> on the guitar. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. No, with that. But you know, it, in the hundred to hundred and fifty dollar range, it, with a guitar, it's that's more of a thing where it's like, as long as the action is good, you're going to be able to play. So I think one of the things is like, it's starting with a good instrument doesn't necessarily mean like huge price tag as long as the barrier of entry is lower than it would be if you didn't do any adjusting. Like, action on a guitar, super low, super easy to play right out the gate. You know, it's like, okay, so you don't have to work incredibly difficult to get, or incredibly hard to get to a certain point of yeah. fretting on the first note, you know, it's like, versus like the guitar I started on, where you had to get a running start sure. and to get it to go down the fret <laughs> exactly and everybody's got that that story of the instrument that they had where it was like oh i didn't know you could change that oh, they, they were so bad though when we were starting generally they were i mean and it, it wasn't until i got my lefty well it wasn't even lefty it was the last ball that i flipped the strings on you know and had somebody do a setup that i was like wait a minute it, you, this, this is how i can go yeah right <laughs> seriously like that Oh, this changes everything. Well, even like stuff like the intonation guitars I was playing, like this horrible, the not having not having a quality. You just fight so much stuff, and you don't even know. You don't even know that it's messed up. Like that was the thing that Esteban did with, his, regardless of like the caricature that he that he is to an extent, uh, and not a bad thing. It's a great marketing thing, but the. Uh, his guitar thing like he and he really meant this he's like i wanted to come out with a cheap guitar that was easy to play so it wouldn't turn people off to be like oh this is really 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 hard it's like generally easy to fret and, and I've, I've had students that come on with him and i'm like this is a really well set up you know it's like yeah. super low action it wasn't loud but it was balanced well and 
which was surprising because they were heavy as hell. Uh, like it's like you know, this plywood <laughs> guitar that it's like, oh my gosh, that that weighs a ton. But um, they were great instruments. I mean, I don't even know if they still sell them. But they, like he want that was his big thing. He's like, I mass produced these things to get it so that people could get a guitar where they don't have to do the whole running stop elbow or running start elbow drop to get one note fretted. It's just like yeah, okay. sure. Which well, is- and it's kind of funny too because in all the like Mel Bay books and whatever, any if you started playing back in the day, it all starts here, <laughs> and it's like that first fret on so many guitars was like impossible. Like even now, like if you had to do it now, you could do it, but you would be like, oh, I don't really don't want to do it. And you've been yeah. playing guitar for you know what I mean? Like well, we both we we'd both be like, really? Like do we really want to? I don't. Know if it's worth pushing down on this fret, and that yet yeah, that's what we were trying to learn on. Which also leads to the whole thing of since somebody, ha- it, with the advantages and disadvantages of an instrument, how much is it in terms of the learning curve? Just sheer absolute determination to play. Oh yeah, you know, like, oh, that's a whole. Other, I think that's a whole other thing, though. Uh, so, I think it's a little bit intertwined, just in the sense of you know. Some people will quit regardless of type what type of instrument that you start them on. Yeah, sure. Other ones are just going to be like, it doesn't matter what you give me first. I'm going to play this thing till my fingers bleed consistently. So, sure. The- I, mean, but I get what you're saying about it not being part of the same subject, but there's a little bit of crossover. I think. I, I think what you're getting at is, okay, so you have two people, two kids, let's say. They're both obsessed. They're both on some trajectory. They're going to be musicians. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. It's already started. The bug was set. Um, that's all they want to do. The one has the guitar where you can't play an F. <laughs> no matter, like, if you put a thousand pounds on it, it still doesn't go down. Um, and then the other one has, like, a Strandberg, you know, or something. <clears throat> so, you're on page one of the Mel Bay book. And it goes E, F, G, or whatever. The kid with the Strandberg's like, oh. You know, whatever. I, I kind of get it. <laughs> the kid with the 75,000 pounds is like, I can't even get the first note. And they could spend... If they were diligent, they might say, well, I, I don't want to move on till I get this first exercise. <laughs> you know? And they're like, I can't get this note to press down no matter what I do. Um... And so now you have this kid with a Strandberg that is finished the book and you're still trying to press on the F. You can't get it to come out. So yeah, I could see like that compounds over time for sure. So yeah, I th- maybe that's where you were going with that. A little bit, yeah. Uh, my thing was uh, it's just a matter of drive. Like internal chutzpah to be like, I'm just going to keep playing this thing. Yeah. And- you can have somebody that has a mediocre amount of drive that would be turned off by that high action. And you have somebody with a high level of interest and drive that it wouldn't matter. You know, they're still going to do it regardless and they keep working at it. That's where yeah. I was kind of going with it. Um, but, yeah, which um, obviously we must have had that, right? We didn't yeah. stop. Um, it's one of the things like when I, I have child students, you know, when the parents are asking me about an instrument, I never put them into a steel string guitar. Like never, never an acoustic Oh, really? String. Electric guitar, fine, but steel string acoustic, it's like I have yet to see one that's a small size where the action is accessible. Even those like baby tailors? Yeah, even the baby tailors. Like I've had students at the collegiate level come in with those things and 
they're great instruments, but I'm like, you guys, you might want to get that lowered. I mean, that's it was really high. Higher than my classical, which is that's my gauge. It's like if it's higher than my classical, it's too hard. Were <laughs> they just set up? Because I've seen those things, man, and they were just like, they were yeah. like electric guitars. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where my Taylor Five Fourteen is. It's like yeah. better than one of my electric guitars, but. You know, the big babies, the ones that I've seen come in, haven't always been. There's been some, but uh, and just to counterpoint that, like that new Taylor Academy line, every student that I put in has been like phenomenal. Yeah. Guitar for money. But That's interesting. So I've actually, I most people I've met have a harder time with nylon strings than steel strings. Uh, but I'm thinking in terms of the kids, like let's just say between four and seven. Like that particular age range, mainly because the amount of pressure and and pain, like it a steel string, it, it's it's definitely more painful. Like that's one of the cheese things. I oh, it kind of hurts. I'm like, yeah, sorry, you're gonna have to suck it up. You know, yeah. that's the only way to do it. Uh, but you can also tell how much they practice because it really only takes about a week. That <laughs> if they actually yeah. play it every day, maybe a little longer, a it month. Months to get the calluses developed. You know, to any thing so the nylon string though is just like it lowers that barrier of entry and it's more comfortable it's not that it's not hard but it doesn't put an extra stumbling block in the way of like you have to push really hard on the steel string versus yeah. that but when they're older you know older students i'm a little bit more okay it doesn't matter just you know if you're, if you're 12 13 something like that and you really want to play acoustic steel string then that's that's fine, you know, and you're just going to have to work a little bit harder depending on the action level. You know, with electric guitars, I don't really care because generally the action is super low. And the same thing, and beginner nylons, they keep the the action relatively low comparative to, because I know this is like, it's probably another 64th of an inch up from where the other ones are. Yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast. It's a trade-off. I like the volume. <laughs> with that. That is for sure. That's just it. So I guess it kind of latches together, but that's, you know, just a, one of those things where it's like having a, in one sense, having an easy playing instrument is the advantage. That's half of it, maybe, right? There's the sound thing, though, too, so. Yeah, yeah, exa yeah exactly. So that was one of our many, many subjects. <laughs> well, it, it, well, just to pull this in there, too, is I wonder a little bit, on those like three amp user types yeah if that has something to do with this as well so even though it's pretty easy to get a generally well playing guitar today um and this is me knocking on modeling a little bit and modeling so easy to get but it it doesn't really react the same way an amp does um yeah in my experience at least and so a good amp like working with an amp as part of your instrument it, when you use modeling it doesn't really work that way mm -hmm. and it's more like you get a sound and you either like that sound or you're not but it's not you miss all the there's not like all the dynamic things happening there's not all the color changes that you can do you know picking here and picking here doesn't really sound all that much different in modeling <laughs> Like you almost you almost don't notice it. It's all those little things you kind of miss out on. So if you never had that experience, you never had a good amp, and you never had a guitar that could take advantage of those different colors and sounds, 
And and a lot of times, like in lefty guitars, where the knobs were actually wired backwards in the wrong kind of way, where um, it's not so much about twisting at the like these are all these all twist the opposite of well the same way as rays. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I don't turn up this way. I turn up by going backwards, so to speak, because it's a righty pot. It, in there, they're they're not linear. So if you wire them backwards, it's actually you basically go from zero sound to all sound. There's no, there's no same thing with a tone knob, and this happens on like every lefty, practically. They're all righty um, pots, but they wire them lefty so you can turn them up like that. But then you you don't have any you can't even control the volume. It's either all the way on or all the way off. And it's either the tone is all the way engaged or all the way off. There's no in between because they're logarithmic pots, um, audio taper pots. So you can't wire them backwards. So the, that kind of stuff too. Like so, if you don't even know, you don't know that. So you're like, well, I don't ever use the volume knobs because <laughs> it's because it really that's that's totally how I was for years. Yeah. Because there was no in between. There was either like, well, the knob doesn't even do anything. Like it's either on or off. <laughs> it's like i turn it all the way it's basically the same is there a volume change i can't tell and then it's off <laughs> does the tone change I, I can't tell and then it's all the way off a whole range of zero to one on an there, there's like you can kind of find this like little line you know like where you can sort of do it you can also when when they're done that way you can you can do like the fake wah thing really easy the uh This one's actually, I don't know if you could hear that, but, uh, I know what you were doing. Well, when it's the lefty way, you can really do it easy when they, when they mess it up and do it backwards. Cause it's like, you know, so you get that advantage at least, but, uh, um, yeah. So it's like all those little things and then you use modeling with it and then you use a guitar that doesn't have very much dynamics. And yeah, it plays like butter. It's like nothing. But more than likely, you you won't even know that you are missing those other things. Mm -hmm. Well, it's one of the things, like, this segues well because, you know, we were going to take this in a different direction, but let's jump into the upgrading of guitars. Because that's something that you just did recently. You know, new pots, new wiring. Uh, oh, yeah. Pickups and everything else. Just to kind of expand what was already there and in a sense repair it as well you know it's like stuff degrades over time that's just the way that it is it's well yeah so so a lot of those were fixing the lefty thing like where they were wired backwards um a lot of it was just putting in better quality wires and then even the pots i changed out yeah. so if anything i only really have i would say maybe two really like premium guitars and like an electric guitars and that's the brian moore guitar that i have and the k-line guitar and they both have really good like everything in them was made high-end right they yeah. they said oh, i'm gonna buy the, the best potentiometers and the best this and the best that you know i'm using good wires and i'm using and then you really notice it with those two guitars just how clean they are, like the way that they respond to you. And there, there's a lot of things. So I thought, well, at least I could go and change all the wiring and do that 
to the rest of my guitars. You know, potentially they cost five bucks for the good ones. You know, they they don't really cost that much. Um, and then got you know got new capacitors and all kinds of stuff and just rewired them, made the wire shorter, all the little things. And I think it's made a nice difference on those guitars. I also upgraded some pickups on a few guitars. Yeah, what pickups did you get? So, I have a Eastman guitar, which I, I do really like. It's um, it's a really nice guitar. I don't know that it's... It must be upstairs. And the pickup that was in it it just always—it was always like fighting the guitar sound. Um, it was a little too loud, even when I backed the pickup way down. Like the guitar is very like woody, acoustic-y sounding guitar without a pickup. Um, but then the pickup came on and it was like it changed the sound of the guitar. It always drives me crazy because it sounds really good unplugged. Um, so then I got a—it was I found I was kind of looking there. Was, there's sort of all kinds of different ones you could get. It's a hum, but it's a humbucker pickup, um, but they're like the low wine PAF style pickups. Um, I found a good deal on a used pair of burst buckers, which Gibson made. So it's a okay. burst bucker one and a burst bucker two. I basically got those used for less than the cost of one of them new. <laughs> there you go. So, um, so I, but the Eastman only has one pickup. So I took the Burst Burker 1, which is the less wound one, and put that in the Eastman. Made a huge difference. It actually sounds like acoustic and yeah, um, yeah. nice quality. And then I took the Burst Burker 2 and put it in the Hagstrom um, in the bridge. So I have a Hagstrom guitar too, where again, the pickups just drove me crazy. Yeah. Um, and it made, made a nice difference in that too. So even those kind of things. And then I have a Seth Lover pickup um, that I'm going to put in the Hagstrom neck position, so which is another low wine PAF. I, I just have sitting around. And so kind of kind of those little things, and and it's it's actually made a nice difference. I I think I've done it's about four or five guitars now. Even this guitar, I, I rewired. I didn't change anything really. Um, but it was it was kind of being weird. Like the guitar was being weird. It didn't sound I right. Um, so yeah, I rewired everything. I took all the wires off, rewired everything, new wiring. And I think I put a new cap capacitor. Oh, and I took the, I don't like, um, the treble bleed capacitor thing. So basically a treble bleed is when you turn the volume down, you don't lose the treble. Okay. Um, but I actually don't like that. <laughs> all right. So I like it when you turn it down, it kind of gets a little darker. So it's just just another way to get some sounds. It's, it's like a different dark than turning the tone knob back. So you get you get all these different kind of things. So I, I took that off too. So I took that off, but changed the wire, and it, it made it sound better. Um, yeah. And that's a definite advantage to an electric guitar versus any type of acoustic yeah. guitar. You get what you get in an acoustic guitar. Yeah, you might have a pickup in it that you can change out, but that really isn't going to matter much because primarily an acoustic sound with that. But on an electric, you can go, all right, I'm going to change the guts. You know, if, you, if you're decent with wiring, you, 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 it's great. I mean, that's, that's nice because it's you can up, part upgrade it and extend the longevity of the life of the instrument. Yeah. 
give you something new, you know, to an extent. You know, you don't have to necessarily buy the guitar. You could drop 150 bucks on a pickup or whatever it was, and it's like, oh yeah, great, new sound. You know, this is cool, and it's invigorating the interest back into that particular instrument. Yeah, I mean, the only thing though is you're still limited by the guitar itself. Like, I do like this guitar. This is the first like nice guitar I ever bought, um, which is a Carbon. Uh, I bought this in 2000. But like acoustically, it's um, it's really quiet. It's kind of a um, it's not very dynamic. And I don't know if I have this other guitar right here. This the K line. Um, it's like the difference in volume is like it's remarkable. And yeah, they're different builds or whatever. But you can't. I can't get that out of this guitar what I can get out of that guitar. It just doesn't have the dynamic range. So. Yeah. That's just the way that it goes. But no matter what yeah, no matter what I change wiring wise, it doesn't help. This this guitar plays like butter. I mean this thing plays amazing. So yep. That's it. That's it. On a Gucci guitar, you can buy new strings, buy different brands, try them that way. That is one thing with a with like a high end classical, the strings totally make a difference. Like, you know, I started out using Diodarios on this, and I, I liked it because it was louder, but I wasn't just yeah. like, wow, that's really, like, that's a huge difference. And then I switched to uh, the Galley Titanium strings, to which, oh, yeah. strangely enough, Nicholas Galusis, the guy that had a dam in there, uh, was like, yeah, your guitar is not ready for titanium yet. It's like, it's not old enough. Like, as it ages, that might be the type of string that you need. And then I stumbled on the Galley Carbinos, and... I was like, what just happened to my instrument? <laughs> Boom, loud, you know, total dynamic control, great tone. I absolutely love the strings, but like they would shred. Like the first string would shred within a week, which is nice. really expensive. You know, it, it, even a solo string was like three bucks. And then I'd have to wait for a couple of days for the stability to come out. And I was playing the game of like, what's shredding next? You know, but it was the best song, sound that I could get for that. And then one day I was like, all right, I'm just going to take $200 and buy crazy different strings. You know, I, Hanabach, Godin, you know, whatever. It didn't matter. I just grabbed whatever classical strings that I could. Yeah. And the Hanabach carbon tops were, like, stunningly good. I was like, holy... And they lasted. They didn't shred. Sold. Um, and then I stumbled upon the Hensei, which are pretty much what I'm using. I use the Hensei tops. And I use... Uh, Augustine Regal basses. And uh, those are the, the Hensei ones are the ones I bought, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, and the thing is, is some guitars sound great with them, and other ones not so much. You know, yeah, I noticed that guitar. I, I it sounds better now. So I think I've had this on there like six months or something, but nice. it actually got better. And I, yeah. I don't know if it was this. The strings just don't sound as stale as they kind of did initially. They, they, they sort of like loosened. I don't want to say they loosened up, but they. I don't know. They warmed up or something, and they became much more musical. Yeah, yeah. Like with mine, it all depends on my mode. Like if I'm concertizing, I'll have a lot more string changes going on. Yeah. Then the. Yeah, these are so pretty good. Like the scratchiness of the strings from just the nail contact. Sure. Um, and if I'm recording, it's always new strings. It's like new strings, absolutely. And 
that's just the way that it goes. Um, so it's uh, it always depends on the mode and what you're going to train. And honestly, I changed out the Diodario bases that I would normally use all the time uh, to the Augustine because I remembered a set that you had that I snagged the bases from. Oh, nice. <laughs> These are really warm. I've always liked the Augustine. Ones. Yeah, I mean, like, the bases were phenomenal. They're really warm. They lasted forever. Yeah. It still had a punch to it, but it wasn't, like, knock you over. And the uh, the big thing to me is, like, the Diodario sounded absolutely phenomenal for three days. And then they just kind of went, whomp, <laughs> Man, I, I don't think I've ever liked the Diodario classical strings. And it's probably the guitars I had a little bit, but especially the treble strings. They sound like plastic to me. Like, I cannot get... <laughs> Nylon on them definitely sound like nylon, and I kind of like that a little bit. Um, but on this guitar, I'm I'm limiting what I can do. Like I know if I put the Diodario on, it's great if I need strings in a pinch. I always have it set as backup, but I'm not gonna get that note without overplaying it. And that I'm not gonna get that punch or that projection with the Diodario yeah. significantly less, you know. It's like a clicky, plasticky thing. <laughs> you know, it, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I used to, I took, like, during my undergrad, I had one semester where I would change my strings every week. Like, I bought, like, you know, 13 sets of Diodario, Pro Art, Normal Tension, every Sunday night, restringing the guitar. Nice. Just to, like, what, it, just because you hated yourself, because it takes, like, four hours to do. <laughs> <laughs> I got really good at changing the strings. In fact, now it takes me, like, 10 minutes to change my classical strings. Nice. It's, it's just Do you have a drill bit? They have like a zzz, zzz. right here. So no drill bits. I mean, the string winder definitely helps, and I'm just so used to tying them in a way where they're not going to come loose. It's yeah. Like, I don't. Think, I don't remember the last time I had a classical string come undone. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had one. I've had them break, but I've never had them come undone. I've had the when I first learned was learning how to like even tie it or whatever. I've had the E slip before. The nice thing though is they slip, but then you just loosen it up exactly. <laughs> and you tie it back in there. You know, and sometimes when your string breaks, depending on how many, where it breaks, you know, if it breaks down here and you have a ton of lines up here, you just pull it through and. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, um, yeah when you think about short sh shorting them, then you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I feel like doing that. Yeah. Uh, with that, and you uh, I saw I saw this one guitar on that Dream Guitars site. They really did it. Something with the it was empty middle, and it was just the fingers were on the sides, so nothing here at all. And they it just went to the side of the head socks, but yeah. it kept yeah. the strings totally straight. Each string just was like completely horizontal to the tuner, no break in the line. Yeah, were like it was a big thing in terms of stability uh, for tuning, stability of playing, sustain. And that makes sense. I mean, that's why I set these up as good as I can with the winding areas to keep. Yeah, sure. Is I think it does make a it's enough of a just enough of a difference where I can hear it. You know, Did you ever try to experiment to put them all on the sides? Uh, I don't think I tried it intentionally. It was more of mm. that's how I did it. You oh, you're just like you're sitting there whining and. Oh and crap! <laughs> I on my like my fourth beer, you know, nothing's really sitting up. So, but now it's yeah. Like, do you, do you have a guitar with Sprizels? No, I did. The only locking tuners that I've had have been the uh, the Paul Reed Smith ones. And Man, those, what a pleasure! 
Yeah, I'd love to be able to do a locking tuner on a classical. Or <laughs> headless on a classical. But it ain't going to happen because of the string material. There's so much stretching that they do. Everything else. Yeah. Maybe you know, like pre-stretched strings or something. I don't know. But uh, it's you don't get a whole lot of like motion out of it. Once they're in, they're in. So... Uh, I'd like that, you know, I, I sent you that one picture of that crazy guitar on Dream Guitars, that arch top that was kind of like a hybrid Parker fly, but... Oh, just, yeah, was, right. That was cool. I was like, now that is cool. It was very cool. It was probably like $25,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, of course. Somebody bought it. But uh, it, it was a gorgeous looking guitar. Very unique design breaks. Breaking with tradition. And like, even they said, they're like, the... The balance on this thing is perfect. Like you can hold it up by this the uh, strap button, and it'll just sit on your finger. Oh, totally. nice. Which is like now that's just cool. You know, I don't know what the thing sounds like or anything else, but that type of uh, woodsmanship or woodworking manship, <laughs> whatever the word is, uh, woodworker quality. I, I'm, I'm drawing <laughs> workmanship. Just, I guess yeah. Yeah, workmanship works. So it uh, is really cool to me. It's like, now that's, that's some pretty slick takes on that. Um, that And who knows? It, it, it was a headless one, right? Yeah, it was headless. Yeah. Um, and, but anyways, so yeah, that was cool. And I think that's my new uh, surfing site. Go to Dream Guitars. And you're like, <laughs> that's this, that's it. I'll never buy it, but... I'll take 17 of those, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do these come in bulk? Can I get these at Sam's? <laughs> <laughs> the bulk artesian guitar. I'll only buy it if I can get 100. Yeah. I loved the idea of owning a unique instrument, but I dread it at the same time. Because it's not replaceable. You know, like, everything in my office is insured, including this guitar. But if something happened to it, it's not like I'm going to get the exact same thing. Yeah, sure. like it's a, you know, that's a total plausibility uh, thing. And not that I haven't sat there and designed and put something together in my head oh, every day. As <laughs> serious guitar players do, it's like, I wonder if I have to do it with this guitar. I wonder if I could do this with a guitar. I wonder sure. if I could do that. Um, so, and that kind of like, that's just the way that... That, that reminds me, this is another lefty thing. You know when you go and, and they and you're starting to look at the custom stuff and they're like, what kind of neck profile do you want? You know, D, C, this, that, that, and the other. And I'm like, I don't know. I've only <laughs> never tried. <laughs> yeah. Like I really maybe C. I think I'm pretty sure this is a C. I, I, I don't really know because like you just don't get it. You don't think the options. You can't like sit there and go because you're holding the stupid thing upside down. If you're holding anybody else's, it's like okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's symmetrical, great. And I guess most of them are to an extent, but even then, you don't get to really use them. Yeah, sure. Like just yeah, because then, because then it's like the balance points in a weird spot or something. Yeah. Like I finally got to try a Strandberg, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" But it's also completely upside down, and they have that ergo neck that like changes, and it was like. Right. Oh, this. I love the idea. I think it's phenomenal. I would, I would love to own one at some point, but it's like trying it upside down was just an exercise in futility. And key, people seem to like love or hate those. So if you never got to try one, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not going to order a five thousand dollar electric guitar to get that type of neck. You, you know, through Strandard Custom Shop. That's just yeah, right. A big unknown, and if <laughs> I hate it now, I you said that's what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. 
I have not seen a used Lefty Strandberg stay on a site for more than like two hours. Oh yeah. You know, I, I wonder in like ten years if you could just be able to find headless guitars like in pawn shops for like thirty dollars. <laughs> Who knows? It's yeah. such a big fad. At some point, I wonder if it'll go away. I because even like when we, you know, we what we didn't realize when we started is you could buy like a sixty seventy Strat for not that much, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or less Paul or whatever. And now they're basically priceless. Like, yeah. And we, we missed the boat because we just didn't know. Um, and even then, I mean, a thousand bucks or whatever would have seemed like a lot. But now that guitar is worth $50,000. So. It's crazy to me. I mean, yeah. does it really make it that much better? Like, I, I, I can't see it being that much better because it's that much older. I don't know. You know, so I have... Probably going on long here. I have this 68 Gretsch Corvette. That was my dad's. Let's see if I can pull it. And yeah, it needs some love, but like the the way it aged, it's like it's super resonant. Um, it feels good. It's got a vibe about it. Um, you know, it's pretty light too. Like it just, I don't think you can mimic that with a new instrument. Definitely, and, definitely can't. Do and. That. I th- I could definitely imagine um, finding like a Strat or whatever from like the '60s, and just ha- and it having the vibe like this, but like a little bit, you know, fixed up and whatever, and not right-handed. Um, like I don't know, I could it could be it could be amazing. I think I think like something you couldn't get in another instrument that like worn-in feel, that sort of like. Stradivarius thing or whatever, you know, kind of happening a little bit. You know, but does it happen with a mass-produced guitar? You know, um, there's clearly something to it. I just don't get what that. Like, I can see that happening with an acoustic guitar because it gets louder. But even then, like, you kind of peak at like the 10 to 15 year range, and that's it. It doesn't continually go up. It like stops. Like the wood can only get so dry. It's it's not going to get any drier unless it's just. Yeah, I think that it's a lot of it's like what kind of glue and stuff. Like there's all kinds of theories anyway about why it might be better. Yeah. In all the sweat and tears and love and blood <laughs> and whatever else. All the frustrations. Yeah. Cocaine. Because <laughs> I I think most of my guitars have gotten better. Yeah, absolutely. Since, since I've had them. And and this guitar, I really, now that I picked it up, I'm like, crap! I should really set this up and do it right. But uh, like, I have to replace the nut is one of the things that's sort of stopped me. And I kind of don't want to because like a bone nut, and I, like it was like, like an original, <laughs> you know. So um, anyway, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just kind of vibe about it too. Like, it sounds great. Cool. I don't know. So I, I can get it. I can get why people like older instruments like that. Like I said, I think that there's clearly a thing to it. Just not, I don't see it just yet. Pretty sure if I ever get a chance to try something like that, I'll probably change my mind. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's probably it. It's Same deal it. here. It's. Uh, I saw like Norman's rare guitars. Um, 
<laughs> so that uh, Norman's rare guitars is like I've seen '70s strats for sale and somewhat reasonable, like 4K. Yeah, like lefty '70s strat. They're ugly as hell, you know, black body with a the maple neck, and I'm just like, God, that looks disgusting to me personally. <laughs> like I just I don't like the color combination on that. Um, but if it was something like you know like a, like a, even a red body with a maple neck, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. But that black the two-tone black with the pickups and everything with that white neck it's like so glaringly different it's like <laughs> i don't get it but whatever like i love my favorite les paul is the black like the the studio that's black with the gold pickups and i'm just like i love that color combination much of course i don't really like strats so that might be the other thing too yeah maybe that's it yeah I, i'm definitely a strat guy I, I did try a 70s lefty strat once and it was heavy but it was awesome it was really nice hmm. i almost got i was like i need to figure out how to get this it was at that southpaw place oh yeah Maybe and i can't right. and it was reasonable price too i think it was in the 2000s or something hmm. um which is <laughs> a lot of money so it's not like it wasn't a lot of money. So that, that's also part of it. But I imagine that it'll probably go up in value. So it's not, you're not going to lose any money on it. Yeah, I think in that case, it's interesting because like I haven't seen a left-handed that goes for like $150,000 or anything like that. Yeah. I, I, I've never seen it. Um, oh, if you found like a 50s or, or 70s or like early 60s, late 50s one, it definitely would. Before Leo, before Leo left... The, the big cutoff. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and actually, when we when we were starting, like seventy strats, we probably could have bought for like oh yeah, hundred bucks or something. Like no one wanted those. Now they finally they finally kind of turn it around. But cool. Anyway, all right, all right. Well, that does it for today. We've gotten a couple of subjects off the list. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. Yeah, leave us some feedback and all that stuff too, or share and like and subscribe, and we appreciate it. Signal flares.